we're in a transition right now. The, the market is in a transition. And so the green chemistry innovation has not kept up with the pace of the consumer demand. So to take something like phenoxyethanol out of brands' hands because of a, a negative perception, I think is wrong, which is why I like that a bunch of clean beauty brands have continued to use this ingredient and have defended it because science is really important. not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder that this podcast is for general educational purposes, and we always suggest seeking appropriate treatment with licensed professionals accordingly. That said, I'm super excited to be welcoming Lindsay Dahl to the show today. Lindsay, welcome to the whole view. Oh, I'm so excited to be on. Thanks for having me, Stacey. I met you while you were still the head of mission at Beauty Counter, and we definitely bonded over more than just Beauty Counter. I remember talking to you about Enneagram and lobbying in D.C., which is obviously my hometown, the suburbs, not the actual city. I love your science-based, logical, non-fear-mongering approach, and you're kind of like living the life that I had planned for myself. I don't know if you know this, but I went to George Mason in Northern Virginia to be a lobbyist. So the fact that you're an activist, a writer, a clean living expert is amazing. But more than that, you are walking the walk and getting it done. So Lindsay's work has helped pass over 20 health protective laws and your 20-year career. Did I get that right? That's right. Incredible. I mean, honestly, like, I want to give you a high five through the computer. Um, But of course, we're still waiting for federal legislative change. And listeners, when you reach out to your representatives, you are helping to move that dial and hopefully getting more laws passed, hopefully at a federal level in the near future. And we'll be talking more about what that means and why that's important as the show goes on. But a little more about Lindsay. Since 2004, She's worked at the forefront of environmental health campaigns, working to eliminate toxic chemicals in consumer products through policy and market shifts. And you are currently the chief impact officer at Ritual, which is a supplement company. So I'm excited to talk about that because that's a whole nother can of worms that we'll get into. So Lindsay, welcome to the show. And please tell us more about yourself and your journey from, you know, improving policy. How did you get into that? What have you been up to lately? What is going on? Okay, I'll I'll give you the rapid fire version and feel free to dig deeper on any of these things. But I, you know, I graduated from college. I grew up in Minnesota. I'm a Midwestern girl. And I, like many people, was really idealistic. And I was like, I want to do something that's going to change the world for the better. And so what I did is I got early jobs in nonprofits in both Minnesota and Wisconsin, working as an assistant making lots of copies, doing bulk mailers, but around all these great people doing work in the environmental field. And I kind of got bit by the bug. I was like, okay, I see how this organization is educating teachers. I see how this organization is passing laws. And I suddenly realized that something I cared really deeply about 
there were solutions to these big overwhelming problems. And fast forward, I basically taught myself how to lobby in Minnesota. In the nonprofit world, you wear a lot of hats and you kind of learn a lot of things on the fly. And in that capacity, I helped and lucky for me had early wins in the early 20s of my career, passing legislation, both on renewable energy and climate change, but also removing toxic chemicals from children's products in Minnesota. And that started to build some momentum when in 2009, I was asked by my former boss and colleague, Andy, to do what we were doing in the state of Minnesota, but at the federal level. And so I packed up my bags, said goodbye to my family and moved to Washington, D.C., where I cut my teeth on federal lobbying, which is very different than the state game. And we helped build a grassroots campaign that brought together public health leaders, environmental justice leaders, traditional environmental organizations and businesses to push for reforms in D.C. that hadn't been touched since the 1970s. And I ran our federal field campaign. So I basically got people like you and me from all over the country to care about this issue and mobilize them for political change. And then I moved to the West Coast, where I took another leap of faith and joined Beauty Counter, which at the time wasn't a household name. And the the premise was, can you both manufacture and create clean beauty products while mobilizing people for the same kind of policy change that I had been working towards? And as you know, that was an incredible experience. Fast forward eight years, and now I'm the chief impact officer at Ritual, tackling an equally complicated, messy, and shady category. So that's that's my career in two minutes. I love so much about it. And the idea of moving from beauty counter to supplements, I know we're going to kind of get into that, but just as a, a heads up, I mean, we talk about fragrance loophole. We can also talk about supplement loophole and just the incredible amount of shady is a good word of things that go into that industry. So I know we're going to have a lot to cover. I thought maybe one of the things that we could do as we dive into a bunch of topics submitted by listeners and by those on social media, thank you to those who submitted them, is to just define at a high level how we maybe identify greenwashing versus we're going to use words like clean or green or non-toxic. And some of these terms, well, all of these terms are not defined in most of the industries that we're talking about. And therefore companies can just kind of like throw them on a label without meaning much. So how do we as consumers kind of look out for that? It's a good question. I think there's two things and it's all about the fine print. So first and foremost, shop with brands that are willing to use the fine print to explain what they mean by all of their marketing terms. So if you're using the term clean, great. What does clean mean to you? Are you banning ingredients? Are you screening them for safety? What kind of science are you using to screen those ingredients for safety? Brands should be forthcoming in how they're formulating their products, especially when it comes to protecting people's health and the environment. So the fine print, and that is what is on a company's website. I generally, there's kind of red flags that come up for me when people use buzzy terms, but there's no page that describes safety, no ingredients page, no sustainability page. Suddenly I'm, I have little red flags going off. The second thing is the fine print. If it's not on someone's website, 
If you start to email customer service questions, so it, you know, the same questions I was just asking, if you submit those to a brand and they don't really have any clear answers to get back to you with, that's another red flag. Sometimes, of course, getting these answers takes a little bit of time because they're complicated. So just be patient with companies, but also, you know, brands should be able to tell you how they're approaching and how they have a philosophy for formulating and creating the products that we all use and bring into our homes. The other thing is that certifications, well, there's no real perfect certification across these product categories. There are good certifications like Made Safe, EWG Verified, Okiotech. There are these different signals that you can see USD organic when you're shopping the marketplace that helps give you a little bit of assurance that a third party is looking under the hood. And then of course, my favorite certification is B Corp. While it's not product specific, it doesn't get um, exactly to greenwashing. It is a great seal or stamp of approval for brands at a 360 level. How are they taking care of their supply chain? How are they taking care of compensating and providing benefits for their employees? Do they care about the environment? If so, how are they doing that? So B Corp is another good signal to me that I am shopping with a socially responsible business. I also am a stickler for testing. And I think I see this a lot in like CBD, for example, right? Like I take CBD for either anxiety or joint pain or whatever. I am immediately going to a company's website and looking up their testing results. And it's the same thing with all beauty counter, I mean, all beauty products, as well as supplements for me, right? Like if someone's going to be making a claim, do you have testing to back up that claim? And are you looking at contaminants in all of these products that we're talking about? So for me, one of the things that I'm looking for, if I'm going to be using a product a lot, right? Like not just like an occasional whatever, but if I'm going to be kind of like aligning with a brand for either using it a lot myself or, you know, saying that I'm going to partner with them for something like that, testing is one of the, the first things that I go to because as you know, you can have a product be clean on all the fronts, but then if you test it, it can be contaminated with things that the brand didn't even know were in the source ingredients or the packaging or, you know, all these kinds of things. And with all of the results that we've seen lately with like benzene and sunscreen or asbestos in makeup, and it was in the FDA's website for supplements, there's like countless recalls of all these things, testing would eliminate that ever getting on the shelf to begin with if there was some sort of a standard that the brand has. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's complicated too, right? Because half the reason that those negative test results come up or negative in the... <laughs> And that they're having, having undesirable contaminants in a product is because brands aren't asking the right questions. And those questions slow things down and companies just want to get products to the market. So it's it gets to the philosophy that we were talking about is brands need to ask really hard questions. They need to go through and do the extra diligence. Oftentimes brands hit walls. So if you're like trying to dig down in your supply chain and get answers to how ingredients may have been processed or if there were hidden treatments they didn't know about, I know firsthand you get, you get stonewalled all of the time. It's like, it's like, you just have to keep trying to push through and testing can help give you an indication if you have suppliers that aren't telling you the full truth. And of course, test results, there's also different methodologies and it gets complicated. Like I definitely see some testing where I'm like, oh, that's not exactly fair to the brand, but other times it is. And I think that 
brands need to be okay with and continue to invest in their own testing to ask themselves those hard questions. But oftentimes brands don't want to because it means suddenly they have to deal with something in their supply chain that they may not be able to exactly know how to solve. So again, that's why I like to support and work with brands that are willing to go there and are willing to ask the hard questions and be really transparent about the complexity with consumers along the way. I don't know about you, but I, if a brand says, we haven't exactly figured this out, but we're working on it, that goes a lot farther for me than just saying, oh no, everything's fine. We're perfect. We're perfect. Don't worry. Nothing. We don't have ingredients. Yeah. We don't have ingredients listed on our webpage, but it's everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. Trust us. (laughs) Yes. 100% feel the same way. So, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to poke the bear and kind of dive into some of those myths, claims, accusations that we've heard in the community. And this comes to specific ingredients. So starting with water, there is a claim out there. I don't know if you've heard it, that if water is listed as an ingredient, that an item has a high risk factor of contaminants. Can you speak to the truth of that? Oh, I haven't heard this one. Oh, it's a no, fun that's one. not true. <laughs> There's two different things. So if a if a product, especially something that is a formulated good, like a beauty product has water in it. I also have heard the myth that people say, oh, it's just water is being used as a filler. So you're paying for water. That's not true. Just certain formats and formulas that aren't oil-based require water for the actual look and feel of the actual product application. Um, But anything that has water, even products that don't have water that are oil-based are at risk for growing mold yeast or bacteria. So that's why safer preservative use is critical. And we can talk more about that. But contaminants is a word, at least that we define in the industry, that is an unintentional, it could be something like a processing agent or something like a raw ingredient is stored in a plastic tub that the brand never has visibility to, but maybe something could leach into that raw material or contaminants like heavy metals that can come from the manufacturing equipment themselves. And so whether or not a product uses water doesn't really connect directly to contaminants. That's a much bigger, complicated issue, but it certainly means that there's an increased risk for micro growth, which is why you want to properly preserve products. Yeah. The basis of the one that I've heard is that If it doesn't specify purified water or specifically reverse osmosis water, then therefore it's not those things. And it has contaminants like fluoride or glyphosate or different things that you might find in water. And I know for a fact that there are a lot of brands that are using reverse osmosis water and just listing water on a label. So this is kind of the opposite of the confusion as a consumer on a label, right? Like where someone is kind of, in my opinion, taking fear-mongering and running with it and saying, oh, if you see water, like it's the worst thing in the world, but you can follow up with a brand to find out is the water they're using purified in some sort of way? And the answer is often yes. And it's just not specified on the label itself. Oh yeah. That, I mean, of the manufacturing partners that I've worked with in my career, I can't think of a single one that wasn't using reverse osmosis or some sort of filtered water. Like that's, that's table stakes. And so 
that definitely feels like fear mongering to me because when you're writing an ingredient label, it just looks better if it says water and like, who knew that we would have to get to a level of specificity with consumers. I appreciate the inquisitive nature. I'm someone that's been encouraging that of consumers for a long time, but it's not like a manufacturing facility that needs to have a clean facility for making products is like sticking a hose up to a tap and turning it on. Like that's not, that's not what it means if you see water on an ingredient list. Yeah. It's, they're not just scraping the pond out back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because then you would end up with, as you said, bacteria growth and different kinds of things. This podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth, and I have heard from so many of you that you too are loving everything that you've tried from the Whole View 35% off coupon on the softest fabric ever. I found Cozy Earth originally looking for sheets to help with my night sweats, and I wish that I had tried them sooner. I spent years looking for bedding that felt like a luxury hotel, and I finally get to feel like I am climbing in to a cloud to sleep at night. And it's backed by a 10-year warranty on all of their products, which makes the investment that much better. Not to mention, they're made from a viscose bamboo fabric that is sustainable and ethical while regulating temperature and wicking away moisture to keep you comfortable all night long. And of course, when they shared the code, I myself took them up on that awesome offer because it's better than any sale that I have seen on their site. And I have been wearing their clothes nonstop. I never want to wear another t-shirt or jogger ever again. Cozy Earth has made Oprah's favorite things list four years in a row for good reason. They're now on Stacy's Safer Sustainable Gift Guide because I am obsessed. Not just bedding, I am also loving their clothing because they're size inclusive and crafted from the same responsibly sourced, breathable and luxurious material as their bedding. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for you, my listeners today, 35% off site-wide when you use code WHOLEVIEW. Go to cozyearth.com and use code WHOLEVIEW for 35% off site-wide. Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. Have you figured out where you're getting your turkey yet? How about a humanely raised one for free from ButcherBox? There are a lot of food delivery service providers, and I have researched them all. None compared to ButcherBox. Humane and sustainably raised meat, the beef is grass-fed and finished, chicken is free-range organic, and seafood is wild-caught. No antibiotics or added hormones, shipped for free, frozen right to your door, in an eco-friendly, 100% recyclable box. I love that they're focused on quality for you, animals, and the planet, plus they're a B Corp. And I cannot tell you how convenient it is to be able to throw together dinner anytime with a stocked freezer. The kids each cook one dinner a night and it's huge to not have to worry about meal planning because they decide what they want based on what we have delivered in our custom box each month. Plus, I love that it's setting them up for success to be empowered when they'll live on their own in just a few years. I'm still in denial of that. It's also huge that they can make what they want by simply going into the freezer. It has been a game changer. This will be our third year with a ButcherBox turkey, and I can't believe the savings that we get from their exclusive member deals. 
I love that I can adjust my custom box to adapt to changing seasons, what the kids want, what deals are being offered. And if you want to give it a go, do not let this awesome deal fly by. Did you see what I did there? The main course for Thanksgiving dinner can sometimes be a main source of stress. Not anymore. ButcherBox is offering our listeners free turkey with their first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash whole view and use code whole view to get 10 to 14 pound turkey free in your first box. That's butcherbox.com slash whole view and use code whole view to claim this deal. So the next step you already called it is the idea of preservatives in especially clean beauty products. So phenoxyethanol is the one that Beauty Counter uses often. I know you actually helped with figuring out how Counter Match Line would have packaging to avoid that. But I think just for some education for consumers, when we're talking about a water-based product, as you mentioned, there is the ability for things to grow in there that you don't want to grow that can be worse for you than maybe some not clean ingredients, for example, fungus and bacteria. And, you know, when I was pulling some of the information and preparation for the show, there was a 2019 study that talked about 70 to 90% of all the products that they tested from lipsticks to makeup sponges were contaminated with fungus and bacteria. And that mold can grow on skincare and makeup for a variety of reasons, especially when you're talking about past an expiration date, where and how it's stored, if the applicators are kind of like being redipped from your skin back into the item, all of those kinds of things. And if there aren't proper preservatives to protect the product, this is even more likely to occur. And we saw this, for example, in April of 2019, when Herbivore, which is a brand that I love and use, I think they're a great brand, recalled a face cream that had gone moldy from lack of synthetic preservatives. There was like all this kind of stuff in the press because it had been on the shelves of Sephora and they had to remove it. They they did a voluntary recall stating specifically that their products only have a 12-month shelf life. And that is how long it takes from manufacturing to when it expires. So think about how long it takes for that product to get into your hands from the time it's manufactured to their warehouse, to the store, to your hands. So the reality is you really only have a couple of months to use a product if you're not using a preservative that is going to protect the product for longer. So Brands have a responsibility to use protective ingredients, knowing that a consumer is going to use a product for a few months. I I can tell you and all the customers that I talk to and myself, no one is throwing out skincare after three months being like, oh, it might have mold in it. So Lindsay, I was wondering if you could share more specifically on why phenoxyethanol is specifically a chosen source for many safer, cleaner brands. And I think also the idea of a the dose makes the poison is really important here. And I think a lot of people take a stance on like, it's either good or it's bad. And when we look at heavy metals, when we look at phenoxyethanol, like there are so many things where a little bit necessarily isn't the worst thing in the the world. Your body has a liver for a reason. 
Yep, there's a lot there. And I am excited to kind of unpack a lot of those. So I think let's take a quick step back, which is part of the reason people, and I saw a pretty sharp shift, people went from asking questions about preservatives in the food they eat, and then they applied what you know, remember Michael Pollan's food rules book that I love and I thought was really great. It was a way for us to rethink about how we shop for our food based on our grandmother's kind of ethos of food. They took the preservatives, like no preservatives in food and applied that to other product categories. And that was a misstep because the science doesn't support that. So what the science does support is for something that's a formulated good, especially for beauty products. And isn't it great? We can use them multiple times that they're not single use. Like we, you know, it's, it's no, no surprise to me or anyone else that something you're dipping your finger in every single day is at risk for growing things we maybe don't want to. Now, you know, preservatives are a, not a one size fits all. So you can't just say, I'm going to use X preservative in all of my different products. It's very complicated. Something that goes by the eye is going to need a different type of preservative system. Oftentimes, multiple preservatives that work together to maintain the integrity of the formula for its shelf life. I can't speak to herbivores formulation or their preservative systems. In theory, a product should be last longer, at least 12 months from the time it's opened by the consumer. So the preservative should be working while there's not new oxygen being introduced into the, the product itself. But phenoxyethanol is a great example of a preservative system. It's one of the more full spectrum preservatives that is highly effective. And it's somewhere along the line, like some other ingredients, got a bad rap. And unfortunately, the science doesn't support the claim, the false claim that phenoxyethanol is somehow toxic for our bodies. It's part of the reason that it is listed as a safer preservative in some third-party certifications, including Made Safe and EWG Verified, because the science supports the use of phenoxyethanol at less than 1% within a formula, which is typically how you would use it anyway. You wouldn't really want to be using phenoxyethanol at over 5%. So I think it is a shame that the ingredient has gotten a bad rap because the science doesn't support that. And there's very few few tools in the toolbox. So when you look at all the preservative systems, there are ones that are bad. Think about it. They're designed to kill. Like the, the hazard profile of these ingredients is naturally going to be higher than something like jojoba oil. And when you have limited tools in your toolbox, we're in a transition right now. The, the market is in a transition. And so the green chemistry innovation has not kept up with the pace of the consumer demand. So to take something like phenoxyethanol out of brands' hands because of a, a negative perception, I think is wrong, which is why I like that a bunch of clean beauty brands have continued to use this ingredient and have defended it because science is really important. And if you're a science first brand, that means also navigating where there's kind of anti-consumer sentiment around a particular ingredient. In the future, should there be other options besides phenoxyethanol and some other ones to use? I hope so. And that's definitely what we've seen in the marketplace. But in the meantime, it's something that I'm certainly not concerned about. And I think it's more concerning that there are under-preserved products that are on the market that people are using every single day on their bodies and their kids' bodies. And that is certainly more of a health hazard. And just one other thing on phenoxyethanol, I could like nitpick the studies that people are using to say it's toxic. Sometimes the studies that people are putting up actually didn't study phenoxyethanol. They studied a different related cousin chemical. And again, that's just like, that's, that's fear-mongering in the reverse where you're actually misrepresenting science, not even about a particular ingredient in order to demonize it. 
It's interesting. I didn't, I have not looked into the studies that people are talking about being problematic because when I go to PubChem, when I go to EWG, it's very clear that the risks are so low. And I'm like, I don't, I don't need to get into the weeds of this thing that's yep. clearly gossip at this point. I don't know. I And I do think that, you know, part of me, because you, you mentioned some of these more natural products, like part of me has such a hard time because before I was using high-performing beauty products, I was using all natural products. And like, that is where I actually came to start using Beauty Counter long before I was even a consultant or anything like that. I was looking for a source that tested for safety because the natural product that I had been using was sent off to be third-party tested and found to not actually contain the ingredients that it said it contained. And then there were other things that it contained that were not listed. And it turned out that it was like basically oxidized oils that I was, you know, putting on my face and that's why it smelled bad and, you know, all Mm -hmm. these kinds of things. And so I think to like that being a problem and consumers having trust in the brand and whether the brand knew that or not, you know, I don't know. What I do know is that's not what I was paying for. And that's not what I wanted on my face when I went to sleep at night. And, you know, I know that we, you have small children, I have four teenagers, like I want to provide the lowest toxic load to them as possible through their growing bodies and hormones. And so the more natural and affordable things that we can buy, let me just warn you right now, four teenagers go through a lot of body wash, shampoo, and conditioner. Like I have asked them so many times, like how much shampoo are you using? Can you show me like what is happening? But at the same time, like if they're going to be clean, okay, fine. <laughs> like, let me not complain. But in that search, it's it's always like, okay, let me try to find, you know, something affordable for them. And at the same time, they don't always want to smell like the same one product, right? Like sometimes they want to have fun. They don't, they know Axe body spray isn't coming into our house, but they also are like, well, what are my other options? And when I start looking around, like, it's just, it's so difficult to find a brand that is committed to things across the brand line, not just like specific items or that they're testing or doing any sort of these things. And it's it's hard because the inclination is like, oh, let me just buy from the lady at the farmer's market because, you know, she's using goat's milk and essential oils. But then at the same time, like that oats, milk and essential oils could be problems. And, you know, it's, it's hard. It's so hard as a consumer. And I just, I know listeners, like you're not alone. Even Lindsay and I are on this struggle, you know, to, to find these products ourselves. And what I will say is, you know, I've pulled together a target list. I went through every single product, not just every brand and found, for example, like native has body washes or deodorants where there's a couple of them that are actually fragrance-free that are using essential oils. And so those are the ones that when we go to Target and my kids want something different or special, like, okay, here are the ones that you can choose from because I know as a consumer how difficult that is for me. So I have put some of those together for you. And I do know that a brand like Native is going to be using safer preservatives and, you know, doing some sort of review on their products versus the lady at the farmer's market. Like it's just, it's hard for me knowing what I've, I've known over the time. So I, I love Stacey. I just want to jump in. I think it's amazing that you pulled that together. I'm going to check out your target list as well. And I think it gets to 
an important topic when we're trying to navigate science and a lot of complicated stuff, which is you can't drive yourself crazy, but you have to do what you can and arm yourself with the best information to make choices for your family. Because, you know, even some of the examples you gave, you know, I have people that have asked me questions like, oh, this brand doesn't, it says natural fragrance and it says phthalate free. Can I trust it? And the the short answer is I don't know because I haven't reviewed their ingredient list, but if a brand is proactively marketing something that says that it's phthalate free and they're not disclosing their fragrance ingredients, it's because that brand hasn't done enough work to get those fragrance houses that they source from to agree to public disclosure. And that's, I've been through that battle. It takes a long time. And so it's okay to like, know that you've got, if it's got a certification or someone like you, Stacey is recommending it and has done some sort of vetting. It's okay to take what feels like a nerve wracking decision. Once you learn about things like the fragrance loophole to say, it's okay, but I'm going to take a minute and quick send an email to their customer service team to say, Hey, my kids really like your body wash, but I'm really hoping to see you publicly disclose those fragrance ingredients in the near future, you know, hoping it's phthalate free still like that kind of thing, like goes a long way. So there are good brands that I think oftentimes are probably doing good work. We want to know as consumers. So why aren't you telling us, but it's also not as easy as it easier said than done. So like that kind of incremental approach, well, the majority of the time spend with brands that are fully being transparent about things, I think is kind of the philosophy that I take to navigate these daily complicated decisions. I think the other component of that too, is that you're never going to be 100% perfect, no matter how hard you try to remove everything that could potentially be bad from your life. It is impossible. No matter what you do, you're going to exist in the world. You're going to breathe oxygen that's outside that has, you know, environmental toxins and all these kinds of things. So part of it is also from, you know, the health improvements that I've seen about learning to let go of things that you can't control and knowing and trusting in your body for a detox process. There are things that you can do to improve your body's own detoxification abilities. If you're that worried about it, focus on some of that. But like getting so worked up about everything being perfect or everything being perfectly clean is only going to drive a higher stress load on your body, which is what a toxic load is. It's a, it's a stress load on your body. So I think that kind of like leads into this conversation that I want to have about you are someone who does so much care with the removal of things in your life. Like we talked about, right? Like you do, you do the best that you can and knowing that you're not perfect, but also, you know, you're buying sustainable, you know, clothing and, you know, as, as much as you can from your kitchen to your cleaning products, to your home, like, I know you, I know that you're doing everything that you can, yet when you shared recently about the body testing that you did for toxic chemicals, you had some findings that you were like, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I am a little disappointed. Can you share more about that process and what the findings were? Sure. So the Silent Spring Institute is one of my favorite science-based nonprofits. They're based in Boston. They have a national presence, but they they were conducting a biomonitoring project, which is basically a term used where you are studying, it's usually urine, hair, nails, stool from someone to understand 
are there different chemicals in your body, toxic chemicals particularly? So Silent Spring Institute was doing a biomonitoring study and they were they were looking for certain pesticides, parabens, bisphenols, kind of across the board. And again, before this was a thing, I was starting to eliminate a lot of these products from my life. And I have commissioned biomonitoring studies. So I know that they're like, it's you're never going to get an A plus report card on this. And yet I was like, oh, mine will be better than the average population. And I had a few variances. So one of which was I had high levels of bisphenol F and I have a hypothesis. I can't prove it. But at the time I was walking across the street to a salad bar every day for lunch. And I was really excited that there was kidney beans and there was canned olives and all that. All of those things come from cans. And that's where bisphenols are. It's our primary route of exposure. And so here I was, you know, knowing that I was eating a lot of canned foods, but it was a way to make a salad interesting. You know, I needed some variety. And so I think that's probably where those bisphenols were a little bit higher. And I didn't have higher than the average population's levels of parabens, but there were a couple of parabens that were kind of in the medium range for me. And again, I haven't used a personal care product that has parabens for years, but I was at the airport the day before and I had a muffin. And again, like parabens are used in a lot of processed foods that you eat at a place like an airport when you're on the go, or maybe it was a hand wash that I used in the, in the airport bathroom. And so the kind of mixed results I was annoyed by, but also it just was a reminder that I'm not going to drive myself crazy if I eat a muffin at the airport. That's okay. (laughs) I have to be a human. And to your point, like cortisol from stress is also highly toxic for your body. And it also, I think the other things is that there was a lot of chemical classes that were very, very low for me. Things like flame retardants, because I was kind of on the early wave of getting rid of those couches and mattresses when that science was emerging. And so there was a lot of bright spots as well. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned, both from having my body tested, but more importantly, looking at a lot of different biomonitoring studies, it shows a few things. First of all, intervention works. So removing your exposure to toxic chemicals does have an impact on your body. Number two, things like parabens or those bisphenols, they leave our bodies quickly. So on average within three days. And that's really exciting because I can eat that muffin in the airport and know that my body is going to work its course or I can have that, you know, those canned olives on my salad. And three days later, those bisphenols are going to be exiting my body. And I think biomonitoring studies show us that intervention works. And it also shows us that chemical classes behave differently. So things that move through our bodies quickly, it's great. You can make some compromises there, but things like flame retardants, heavy metals, fat-loving chemicals that are persistent, bioaccumulative, and toxic. Uh, PBTs is the class of chemicals. Those are the ones that you really want to avoid. So that's where it's worth it to spend a little bit more on a couch that doesn't have flame retardants or to finally get rid of that mattress if it's really, really old. That's where you want to invest your time and the majority of your energy because that's what's going to have the the longest lifelong impacts for both you as a human, but also these are environmental contaminants as well. Yeah, I am glad you touched on the health stuff as well. And it has been a journey with kind of a growing household, I'm sure for you with your young kids as well, like less about the mattress that I've had for a long time. Yes, I am going to care about that. And when I'm putting my toddler in a brand new mattress and it's off gassing, like that's super important as well in their small growing bodies. So super helpful to break down kind of like, 
what's higher priority and not. And the only other thing that I want to add to that is the idea that, yes, it will leave your body if you're doing that intervention, if it's not like happening all the time. And so when I find us getting really busy in our season of life and eating out more often and doing those sort of things, it's more of a priority for me to think like, okay, how can I restructure and reframe our life and what's going on right now so that I don't feel the need to eat out quickly. Not that there's anything wrong with that in the scheme of life, but like also from a financial perspective and from like so many reasons, that's not a good choice. It helps reduce that toxic load over time, right? Because if we're eating out like you know, every three days or whatever, then your system isn't able to kind of fully flush some of that stuff that's happening. So I think it's really important in in the scheme of things, if you're doing everything at home to put, you know, things in glass containers and all these things, but then you're picking it up and you're exposing yourself regularly outside the house, that's like a, a place where I think a lot of people don't realize how much it's filtering in that I think your study was kind of a highlight for, right? Like this idea that you went to the airport the day before and you could point to all of these things that you got exposed to just from going there. So yeah, okay. absolutely. I have my self-serving question of the day. Okay. I always, I always like to ask questions that are really just for my benefit, but Really, I think everybody will benefit. So I am super fascinated by your move from personal care to supplements. I remember when you first shared that you were going to ritual, I was like, really? That seems like quite a departure. But then the more that I thought about it, the more I was like, no, that makes so much sense. Because as part of the federal regulation, they're both under this super loose umbrella. And there have been countless insane, unsubstantiated claims, SEC lawsuits and all these kinds of things have come up over the past couple of years as well, right? When we look at what is available to a consumer, we could see in the supplement industry that there's also greenwashing just the same way there is with, you know, clean beauty and cleaning products. But as I mentioned earlier, the FDA does have a recall page. And so I'm curious, you know, now that you have kind of made that move, it does FDA have recall power? What are they reviewing or not reviewing as it relates to medicine, for example? And kind of just what have your biggest findings been since making this switch in terms of educating consumers on vitamins, proteins? I don't even know what else falls under the supplement umbrella. I'm I'm pretty sure it's big. <laughs> It is big. And for me, this is continuing on my track record of wanting to work for industries that need to be cleaned up. So the toy industry, when I first started my career, was super toxic. And if you remember, there was lead in Thomas the Train that was kind of blowing up the Christmas holiday back in 2007, moving on to household building materials, all these secret, you know, toxic chemicals hidden away in corners of our home. Certainly the beauty industry. So supplements is just a continuing of me using my skill set to help disrupt these kind of shady industries, which is why I was really excited to make the leap to rituals. So if you think about FDA regulations, there's regulations over food, over food packaging, pharmaceuticals, supplements, and beauty, and they're all regulated differently. So if pharmaceuticals are regulated highly, 
by the FDA, supplements and beauty are about comparable, which is definitely on the lower end, which is why we need reforms, both of the beauty industry and of supplements regulation. So right now there's, I would say there's kind of loose traffic rules for the supplements industry, especially when it comes to certain types of health claims that are being made, but there's no strong enforcement around the safety of ingredients that are used in supplements. There's not strong enforcement from the FDA about making sure that what you're marketing is, that's in your product is actually in your product, which is why some certifications we'll talk about are really important. And certainly there's not enough oversight in the supplements industry around marketing claims like clinically backed, clinically studied. Those terms are I think effectively misused by a lot of brands that give a consumer idea an idea that this product was clinically studied when maybe they're using a few clinically studied ingredients and those clinical studies, if you look at them, are not actually in the same forms or doses that the brand is using in their supplements. And the combination so like, can sometimes con completely change the formula anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's part of the reason that I was really attracted to joining Team Ritual. Ritual started about six years ago in 2016 by a CEO who was very skeptical of this industry. And so we like to say that we're a brand for skeptics by skeptics. We currently have 20 scientists developing our products and try to take, try to take an industry where you're not really sure if the product's working. You're spending a lot of money, taking a little bit of a leap of faith. And how do you, science in a very credible way to let the people that you're serving know that number one, those ingredients are being absorbed in the forms that we hope are most absorbed by our bodies. And I think the commitment to traceability is one of the things that I was most excited by. So since joining Ritual, we actually just recently launched what is called our Made Traceable Standard. And so it's the idea of being in tra transparency, both to the science behind supplements and also transparency to the sourcing. So when you look at the FDA oversight, one of the big things that the Senate is patting itself on the back for doing is they passed an incremental step forward on supplements regulation that would require companies to have on hand, not even publicly disclosing, who their suppliers are and where those products are made. And if you think about it, that means the majority of brands out there don't actually know who their suppliers are, and they don't have that information on file. And one of the things that Ritual has done since the beginning is they publicly disclose the supplier names for all of their ingredients and the final place of manufacturing, which is a level of transparency I really haven't seen in most industries, supplements, and many others. And so that idea of kind of radical transparency meets unapologetically science first was what attracted me to the brand and where I feel like I can have a, a large impact, but also it's nice to step into a business that is six years old, but has been making really good decisions when it comes to sustainable packaging and other things like their commitment to being outspoken on a bunch of different issues like paid family leave that are really, really important to not only the team at Ritual, but obviously lots of working families all across the United States. So what is the, what is that low bar that's currently set for supplements from a consumer basis? So it sounds like, okay, we now a brand has to know where their stuff is sourced really as a consumer that doesn't benefit me much at all to your point. So how do we as consumers vet some of the brands that we're working with on 
the the benefit that we're actually getting, right? Like these claims yep. that are being made, how do we check that? How do we how do we validate that our money is being spent wisely? Yep. I think there's two things to look out for. The first of which is USP verification. There's also NSF, but USP is the gold standard. It's a third-party certification that is very expensive for brands to keep up with. And there's a reason that's expensive. And it's because getting back to your desire for testing, they test that not only are the doses and ingredients in that supplement or multivitamin actually there, they make sure that they're still available at the doses and forms at the end of the intended shelf life. So oftentimes we are purchasing probiotics in particular or multivitamins where the efficacy or the biotic strains in those examples of probiotics are actually, the bugs can be dead by the time that you're at the end of that shelf life. And so USP is the kind of gold seal of approval. Less than 1% of brands in the supplements category currently use or have USP verification, which is a big red flag for where the industry needs to go. Ritual's flagship multivitamin essential for women 18 plus has the USP verification, which is our testament to, yes, you can trust that the work behind the scenes is happening. The second is clinical studies. So Ritual has gone on to publish university-led clinical studies that show that the vitamin D that you say that you're getting is actually having an intended positive benefit for your body. And so I think it's okay for companies to use clinically studied ingredients, but not have a clinical study on the whole formula. I think that's aspirational. Brands should definitely try to invest in those whole product clinical studies, but clinically studied ingredients, they at least need to be relevant to how the brand is using those ingredients in their formulas. So just like with toxic chemicals, when you're looking at consumer products, that's a good question to ask supplement companies. Send an email to their customer inquiry to say, hey, I know you're using the term clinically studied. Do you have those clinical studies available for me? Some brands are putting those on their website and others are showing publicly if they're actually going through the steps to get their own clinical studies. So I think those are some things that you can do to really help give you a little bit more confidence. Certifications are important within the industry. A lot of certifications, whether it's clean label project that looks at contaminants like glyphosate, heavy metals, plasticizers. Again, you can know that the brand, the testing they're doing behind the scenes is translating to a, a clean product, so to speak, on the shelf. This podcast is sponsored by Ritual, the first multivitamin I have ever felt comfortable recommending because I trust Lindsay, her research, and the amazing work Ritual is doing for our health and the planet as a certified B Corp. The products are simple, clean, and backed by science, made traceable and formulated to help fill the gaps in the diet we know most of us are deficient in. With age, I have found the wisdom that perfection is truly the enemy of the good. The stress of tracking every bite just isn't worth the payoff that might come from nutrient insufficiency for me. What I can do is take a multivitamin thoughtfully designed to optimize my health. When researching Ritual, I found that their smart capsule has a delayed release designed to optimize dissolving in the small intestine, the ideal place to absorb nutrients. They are essenced with mint to ensure there's no unpleasant aftertaste of that omega-3 that you're getting. And altogether, it's way fewer pills, combining oily and dry ingredients into one capsule so that you can get the nutrients you need in just two pills a day. I am so excited to reduce my pill consumption. And 
it's customized to your specific needs. I actually started with the postmenopausal pills because even though I'm just entering perimenopause, I want to support my body's transition with optimized nutrients. And Ritual has a first of its kind traceable supply chain. So you can see where all of your key ingredients come from and why they are there. They show proof. Their flagship multi has USP verification, which you've heard Lindsay talk about on this very show as being important, and a peer-reviewed and published clinical study. All their products are vegan, non-GMO, and gluten-free, and third-party tested, so you know you can trust them. Start a vitamin ritual you can trust. To get started, visit ritual.com slash wholeview today and get 10% off your first three orders. That's ritual.com slash wholeview to start your new ritual today. Quick Safer skincare public service announcement. Beauty Counter is offering a rare gift with purchase right now through October 31st, 2022. So you only have a couple of days once the show comes out on your qualifying orders. And everyone can get 10% credit back, free shipping, and another gift, totaling five separate gifted items with VIP perks. I know. The math is so freaking good, y'all. You get more than you spend. It's hard to even explain, but it is simple. You just build a cart of things that you want. I personally recommend Countertime, Cleansing Balm, and the Flawless in 5 Makeup Bundle. Those are what I use every day in addition to the gifts that you're going to get. And then that Albright Trio will magically appear in your cart. From there, you can stack on if you'd like. Nothing else is necessary, of course, but I always recommend everyone add Band of Beauty to their cart, just like adding anything else when you're shopping online. And that's what's going to get you that 10% product credit back, free shipping, and two more free items. And then if you are a new customer at checkout is where you can put in the promo code box, clean for all 20, and choose Stacy Toth Me so that I can thank you and send happy mail. This is a huge way to save both for yourself and for gifting this holiday season and supports my woman-owned small business and lets you vote with your wallet by choosing a certified B Corp whose mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws. Go to beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth, just like any other website, and choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H at checkout to use code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off your order, plus a free trio of gifts through 103122. Super helpful. I think we have more beauty questions. So I want to try to rapid fire them. I've talked on the show a lot about non-toxic beauty standards. So hopefully we can just kind of touch on, I think there's three more that were kind of interesting and that I hadn't covered before. So the first question was on polybutene and asked if it's safe for humans and the environment, because one of their customers is a toxicologist that brought it up as saying that it was a concerning ingredient. So I actually went on to EWG. It's a EWG safe number two. I went on to PubChem and it was on PubChem that I actually saw that there was a hazard warning. Once I dug into that though, I saw that it was actually from 
concentrated levels being inhaled, which as we mentioned earlier from the dose makes the poison kind of thing. If it's in lip gloss, for example, that's not something that's A, concentrated or B, being inhaled. And there was nothing mentioned about ingestion being a concerned toxic. There's nothing environmental. So knowing that there aren't fumes, those warnings didn't seem applicable from what I was looking into. And then I started kind of thinking about it more like, okay, why would we use this product? What purpose does it serve? And just to kind of like give listeners an explanation. If we see polybutane, for example, in lip gloss, my assumption, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lindsay, is that that's like a water resistance purpose. It seems to be providing, kind of serving the purpose that, for example, petroleum or a PFAS type ingredient would serve to create like a water resistant item. Um, And if we look at the alternatives to how harmful petroleum and PFAS are both on the environment and humans, obviously polybutene would be a safer alternative, which it is listed as like an EPA recommended safer alternative on PubChem. So did I get that right? What am I missing? I know PFAS are a nightmare. I can't believe they're in makeup products that are going on the membrane because that is like the one area that they say is the most problematic to put PFAS. So, which I we did do a deep dive on PFAS in the show before, but I'm kind of curious if if I've got that right while I have you here. Yeah, you mostly have it right. So, it's it's an ingredient. Yes, I want to start with the first thing, which is there are, there's a lot of hazards related to lots of ingredients and how we're exposed does matter. So having a high inhalation risk from something in its gas form is maybe a problem for work. I think workplace exposure is something that's important, but that doesn't mean that by the time it's in the format of a lip gloss, there's any sort of human health risk. And understanding the difference between that means that Now you have to care about workplace exposures. And again, it goes back to limited tools in the toolbox. Right now, there's only so many ingredients brands can use to make the products we all want to use every single day. Polybutane isn't used like a PFAS where it's designed to make it stick and last, but it is similar to something like petroleum-based products or petrolatum where it's more around the actual like formula design and feel of how it applies and stays on your lips, which is different than something like PFAS that is used to treat the colorant to make it the color last. So it's more about like texture and application. And I think, I mean, it gets back to the question of dose makes the poison and you asked it earlier, we didn't get to get to it, but it's a, it's a phrase we all learned in science class. And it is the catch-all way to describe traditional toxicology, which is the more you're exposed to something, the more toxic it can be. And people will say, well, water is safe and it, we were, it's required to live, but if you drink too much water, you can die. See, the dose makes the poison. The problem is, is that science is complicated, especially science that shows in the last 60 plus years that chemicals behave in ways we didn't originally understand. And so what that means is you really have to look at a case-by-case basis. How is this ingredient being, how are you being exposed to this ingredient? What are its health properties? Because sometimes the dose makes the poison, which means a little bit is okay. And sometimes the dose doesn't make the poison. And how is that, like, how are we supposed to navigate that, right? A good example of where the dose doesn't make the poison is for hormone disrupting chemicals, because our body's hormone system is designed to be triggered at very low levels of hormones. So that's a great example where those bisphenols I talked about from the can linings I was exposed to, 
earlier or phthalates. That's where actually at lower doses, you can have negative health outcomes. But with something that is like a low level contaminant that you really don't have control over just because we're humans living in this world, that's where you can say, okay, the dose makes the poison. So complicated stuff. It's really hard to put the burden on consumers, which of course, we're going to talk about policy change. Just a, a reminder while we're in the complicated, messy part of the topic, we shouldn't have to bear the burden of having to try to navigate the tenets of traditional toxicology versus environmental health. The government and smart scientists and companies should be asking these hard questions. So anyway, back to the question about the ingredient. And, and to that point though, until consumers demand it to make it be something that companies care about, a lot of them aren't prioritizing. We start to see market shift when consumers make these demands and it's not our burden, right? Like the both can exist. And I think that's important. And I hope that by supporting brands that are investing time and money into doing it the right way, that other brands can learn that they can still be profitable and still be successful protecting their own consumers, that that is yeah. in their best interest. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. The next one is colorants. And I know this is a big one because the trade-off for making something talc-free means that the other ingredients that are in the item. So if we're talking about, for example, a powdered makeup item, you're going to see heavy metal spike if you take talc out because you're in increasing some of those pigments is the word that I'm looking for, right? In order to get the color. The problem is that there is a lot of fear, just the same way that you mentioned around food additives, preservatives. Right now we're talking about synthetic colors and people see synthetic color as being a concern in makeup. So I think if you could just give like an explanation for that, you know, age-old assumption. I always say, I think your analogy of water was genius. One of the ones that I always say is that not everything from the earth is good for you. Like snake venom and poison ivy is not something that I want in my makeup, even though it's all natural. And not everything that's synthetic is bad for you. And that's why science and testing is important. So I'm curious if you can share more about, I know you did a ton of work looking into the heavy metal load and powdered makeup and how difficult that is for brand. What, what were your findings overall? Yeah. So the natural colorants, again, when you look at all colorants approved by the FDA, there are not that many in both synthetic and natural. There's just not a lot of tools for brands to be able to use. I haven't seen a lot of innovation on the colorant side. I'm hoping that's the next cutting edge for some smart ingredient makers to make a killing, but the natural colorants often have higher heavy metal loads because they're sourced from the earth. So if you think about the, the mining of a beautiful pink pigment that is then used in a development process for making makeup, it sometimes it's better to have something that's synthetic or lab made because you can help control some of those heavy metals. There are some synthetic colorants, however, that do have concerning or toxic profiles. So again, it, it gets back to the question, what questions are your favorite makeup brand asking before they're formulating? Are they just making blanket assumptions based on the sourcing of an ingredient, whether it's lab made or natural, or are they actually case by case reviewing those ingredients for safety across a suite of, of health endpoints. And that's what you really want. That's what you want brands to be doing. 
Because when you start to do that, you get to see how, how to develop the safest products possible. I think the other thing that's interesting related to the food connection around colorants, there are concerning studies around the ingestion of certain colorants, especially for children, which is different than dermal exposure. So again, people could be like, oh, well, if there's any questionable health endpoints, I don't want to use that. That's fine. You may end up not wearing makeup ever. And that's okay. Like that's someone's choice. However, a colorant sitting on your cheek and skin absorption is actually one of the, the lowest ways to absorb something in your body versus eating or inhaling. And so again, there's a lot of really credible science around these different exposure pathways that help and should help brands make decisions around which sorts of colorants they are using in their particular makeup blends. I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the studies that I found years ago that I was shocked to find is that makeup specifically that has heavy metal contaminants, and like I I researched the different specific contaminants, and cadmium was one of them, had like an 86 times load greater for the toxic load from inhalation than from on your skin. And so I see so often people are like, you know, if you put it on your skin, your skin's absorbing it. Actually, your skin can't absorb everything and your skin is made to be a protective layer. And if it goes through your skin, it's not going to like hit your lungs. It's going to go through your body's natural detoxification processes because that is what the organ's purpose is serving. So this this idea of like powders and sprays is where I tell people to prioritize switching to safer first because in my in my mind if you have contaminants that you're either not aware of like those the benzene sunscreen spray was like so concerning to me because I was thinking about the poor children who were like inhaling that on the beach without knowing about it and that there are certain carcinogens like you like you're saying where the dose does not make the poison there's no amount of that that should ever i don't like the word should but that you know that is good for you there's there's zero amount that you know your body wants to be exposed to so to speak so i appreciate that perspective and totally agree i'm i i i am hopeful that there is something innovative too because it's such a nuanced answer like well some of the you know minerals are better than but some minerals are really bad and some of the synthetic colors are fine but some of them are very bad like that's not an yeah, answer it's that a people nightmare love. to try to explain <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like that just i think goes to showing like you said, that a brand is looking into that and thinking about it and trying to make the best choices. And it's not as easy to explain as just, oh, we're doing this thing. And therefore, by default, it's great. You know, it's a lot more complicated than that. Which leads us to the last question, which again, I think is quite complicated. And I'm curious if you have an answer on this. One of the things that we heard from Tufts University, which is a partner that specifically Beauty Counter and lots of other brands partner with for possible endocrine disruption and testing, right? Like they're they're doing lots of work there. Tufts is great. Found that clove oil came across as a possible endocrine disruptor. And so being that clove oil can often be found in essential oils, which people might be putting in their diffuser, thinking that it's helping themselves in their health. Do you have any specifics to what that endocrine disruption of clove oil is looking like? Is it topical? Is it ingested? Is it inhaled? Should we be avoiding it entirely? Or do we just not know enough and therefore avoiding it is really the best policy at this point? 
Yep. Essential oils are very hard. And like you said, this is a really complicated question. So essential oils across the board, you can get their phytoestrogens. So meaning natural estrogens that come from plants. And what that means is that in talking with a lot of different researchers on this topic, you can get a endocrine activity test results if the clove oil or a lavender or whatever is harvested at a particular season. And then you can test that same crop six months later and you don't see any estrogenic effects. So like, again, talk about like how on earth are we supposed to navigate (laughs) this as consumers? Again, if you think about routes of exposure, inhaling and ingesting are going to be the highest concern for those routes of exposures. But if you're using clove oil to clean your countertop. Yes, you're inhaling that, but that's different than something that's being diffused in a long-term basis or placing it under your tongue or whatever. I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that people use essential oils that I don't want to get into, but I think generally speaking, this is where I'm really interested to see how the essential oil industry can innovate and how can we actually use lab-made essential oils, which would no longer be an essential oil, but lab-made fragrances that reduce not only the complications of things like phytoestrogens, you would have more control, but also reduce the major sustainability and human rights issues associated with the production of essential oils. So if you think about how many crops it would take to get a single drop of a rose or orange oil or grapefruit oil or whatever the essential oil is. Oftentimes there's a lot of sustainability issues related to the entire supply chain of essential oils. So I don't have a clear answer on clove oil. I, when I saw that study, I stopped using clove oil based cleaners in my home. And I just went back to the stuff I've been using for a really long time, but the combination of seven generation and vinegar and just lemon rinds around my home. But that's that I don't feel like there's been enough repeat studies of that, which of course is how science works. You want things to be replicated. And I think there just isn't a lot of funding right now to study essential oils more deeply. So I wouldn't say, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it is a red flag to be like, maybe there's more here for us to learn about how different phytoestrogens could be coming across through products in our homes. But I want to see patterns. I want to see scientific patterns showing over time, even the lavender oil example and oil example, there hasn't been enough repeat studies showing that there's a major problem there, but there are some early warning signs that maybe we should or should not. There's some studies that are actually totally debunked and then others that show us that, again, hormone disruption is complicated and plants actually do interact with our bodies in ways. Getting back to your point of not everything that's natural is automatically safe. Yeah, I think we did a show... I want to say like two years ago, episode 272, where we went deep into essential oils. And at the time I had just gotten our puppy. So three years ago and realized in that research for the show that anything with orange and there were a couple other things were potentially hazardous and toxic to my cats and dogs. So it's definitely one of the things where just because it feels natural doesn't, because that stuff smelled amazing. And there were studies that showed that it like killed the flu virus and I was running it in the house all the time. But then I realized that it could harm my 
cat and dog. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess if it's killing bacteria, it could be that strong for like a small creature. So feel free to go back to episode 272 if this is of interest to you, because we looked at a lot of science on a lot of different essential oils from different perspectives. And I think unfortunately the result is exactly what Lindsay's saying, which is more research is needed. And it's really just a matter of like making educated choices for yourself and your family. And that led to me using them a lot less, unfortunately, just because I I didn't find the information that I was looking for to give me the confidence that I needed. So, okay, Lindsay, to your favorite part of the show, helping people activate. So I love to leave our listeners on a positive note, oftentimes we're talking about not great things in the show <laughs> with action steps that they can take to make a difference in their lives. So I know you are the policy guru. You are making changes through, you know, legislative change and in the grassroots area, right? Not just from your perspective, but you couldn't do it without people kind of supporting that. So I'm wondering if you can both give us maybe three things that listeners can do in their individual lives that would have a significant impact on their health, but also maybe like one or two from a community perspective to help the collective good? Yes. So the first is on the consumer side, which we've talked about a lot, but just to kind of summarize on the supplement side of things, if you go to ritual.com under our standards, we have our made traceable promise. That is basically a guide for you to be able to ask hard questions of any of the supplements companies that you're purchasing from currently. So what kind of science are they using? What certifications, sourcing practices, et cetera. The second, look for certifications, some of which we've talked about today, made safe certified, which covers a lot of different product categories, has a really good trust in my opinion. Second, EWG verified for the personal care and beauty category is considered gold standard. But as we've talked about, it's easy for us to think that we can shop our way out of this problem, but we can't and we shouldn't have to. So right now we have a tremendous burden on our shoulders as consumers, but I think the problem's actually bigger than that. So I'm going to talk for a second about if we don't mobilize to pass bipartisan legislation, whether it's in, I would say across all consumer product categories, supplements, beauty, home goods, et cetera. We are not only going to continue to perpetuate this problem where we have to have a PhD in order to navigate the marketplace, but perhaps most important, we are going to continue to overexpose communities that are overexposed, including low-income communities and communities of color. And that's both by who is being marketed to actively, the types of ingredients that are used in products specifically marketed to communities of color, and where people live directly relates to their exposures. So it's not just about the products in our homes. It's about looking at the entire life cycle of the products, including the packaging where that's made. Was it made in Louisiana in a place called Cancer Alley that is cranking out virgin plastic that is polluting black and brown communities and low-income communities right next to where their kids go to school? And that goes all the way to the end of disposal. So not just the how we're using products in our home, but when we dispose of a product, is that product then incinerated again in a low-income community where we are overexposing the same populations? And I think when you look at the whole life cycle, that keeps 
me grounded in why policy change is so fundamental. Because yes, if we ban PFAS from cosmetics, that means that cosmetics are safer for us and our children that like to use them. That's great. But it also means removing PFAS from the supply chain that is exposing workers and the entire life cycle of a product that we talked about. So we've seen so much progress. Like I said, you said at the top of the hour, I've helped pass over 20 laws in my career. That's amazing. We have completely transformed the material economy, but we're only halfway there. So like we need all of our sustained energy to contact our elected officials to pass legislation that's going to level the playing field to protect everyone, regardless of where you live, what your race is, how much money you have, or how much time you have to effectively navigate the marketplace. So I feel increasingly bullish. I'm not waning in my, I'm not fatigued on talking about this topic because when we pass laws, it fundamentally protects our health and environment in ways that you can't even imagine. And so I want us to keep up the energy. And that means sending in an email to the contact form of your senators and your representatives, and you let them know, I care about these issues. I care about supplements. I care about beauty products. I care about safe toys for my children. I need you to act right now because those, those contact forms go straight to the staff members who read them and then they brief the senators. So your voice is still heard in our democracy and passing legislation. It works. It creates massive systemic change in a way that hopefully our children's and our children, children, should they decide to have them, hopefully won't have to worry about all this stuff. So a cheat that I recommend to people is if you are in the U.S., first of all, I recognize not all listeners are in the U.S., Hopefully you're in a place that has some some better rules than us, but even our Northern Friends Canadians are also working to change a lot of this stuff. And if you're in the U.S., my favorite cheat is if you text ban PFAS, that's P-F-A-S, to 52886, not only will there be this like letter that you can use, but the cheat is that it will tell you who your representatives are and give you their information. It's part of like the fill-in form automated text message that you're going to get. So you can send that off and then take that information and shoot like a separate email or make a phone call is even more powerful. If it's coming from your personal email box and not like a form letter, it will have more power, especially if they get a couple of those in the office, then it really kind of like sets off red flags for people. So Lindsay, before I let you go, do you have particular laws that are pending in committees that you would suggest to people as saying like, please support this. Because I think giving a particular bill or a particular specific thing that you're asking for is better than saying like, I care about supplements because then the the person can be like, yeah, me too. That's why I passed this thing. Check the box, move on, right? Versus like, what in particular are we asking for people to, to, to push for? Yep. So there's two things right now there. It doesn't have a name, which is tricky, but someone can ask their elected officials to get the FDA reauthorization across the finish line. So it's passed both the house and the Senate, and it includes really important steps forward for both supplements and personal care oversight. It was a piece of legislation that passed the Senate help committee back in June. That's the big vehicle that we're waiting to see some progress on that we really need to get across the finish line. So the FDA reauthorization is the first. And then the second is actually beat me to the punch is ban PFAS. There's a couple different federal pieces of legislation, but the ban PFAS legislation is still 
kind of a little bit stalled, but that's okay. This, these things kind of ebb and flow. And then I'll actually put a third plug for paid family leave, because if you don't have support after having a child, or if you're on medical leave, having any sort of bandwidth to talk about these bigger exposures when you're focusing on an immediate health crisis in your family is really critical. So I think those are three really important pieces of legislation that have some traction right now. And I think need a little bit of grassroots love. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge today. We're going to be sharing what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view, which is the best place to ask questions too. If you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show, but so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button in the podcast app that you're using so that others can find us as well. If you are looking to find Lindsay, the best place is at lindsaydoll.com. And we're going to have a link in the show notes so you can make sure to spell her name properly, but it's L-I-N-D-A. Nope, cut point. But it's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-D-A-H-L. And you can follow Lindsay on social. Just put an underscore between her first and last name. She's great for Insta. Love following you on Insta. Are you on TikTok? Are you, you're an elder millennial? Yeah. No, I'm an elder millennial. I'm dusty. I got to get on TikTok. (laughs) I I just started. It's, I don't, you're not missing anything. (laughs) It eventually makes its way onto Instagram, you know? (laughs) Anyway, listeners, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope that you learned something and thank you for taking the time to push yourself forward, push the community forward and be your best self. Okay. Now we're magically on TikTok. I mean, we're not, t- we're not on TikTok at all because we're both elder millennials. We're magically on the Patreon. And I have one question that we didn't get to that I want to ask if you have a few moments. Sure. Okay. So we had to kind of like shelve this idea of consumers driving demand, but we're seeing kind of like two big issues with this one being the lack of policy that really like allows companies to twist the truths and the greenwashing that we talked about. And For those where clean beauty is not acceptable, which I'm really glad that you spoke to towards the end of the show, because this is why policy change is so important. It's creating this greater divide in the toxic exposure for marginalized groups. And I would argue creating more of a divide in like class differences and different kinds of things that we're seeing from educational perspective, as well as exposure, right? Like when someone can't go somewhere other than a, a store that does not have cleaner products, it's that much more difficult for them to be educated and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if on the Hill, there's any sort of understanding for how this is affecting and creating a greater divide, or like, are people just still arguing over who should pay for what? I think there is a large awareness on Capitol Hill that this is an issue that is not accessible for everyone from a time and resources perspective. So thankfully, I feel like members of both parties really understand that. Historically, I've done a bunch of work with the Congressional Hispanics Caucus, Congressional Black Caucus, the Women's Caucus, where we look at where there are disproportionate burdens. And I think, I don't think people quite I don't think people are quite motivated to get something across the finish line because of that. So that's where I feel like we've got a lot of work to do because we need to get people, it gets back to this conversation of control we talked about. You can't hyper control and create this bubble for yourself 
because even if you do, you're not solving the problem. Like there's a lot of people that can't create the bubble. So I don't, I feel like we're just in this like black and white type thinking right now. We want things to be simple. We want us versus them. And in order to care about the the social justice element to this, you have to be okay with the gray complexities of it. And so I do think you would hope that this access and equity piece would be the thing that helps fuel and get something across the finish line in DC. I think that can happen when we organize and we like grassroots organizing and mobilize communities. So some of the amazing work that's been done by environmental justice communities is part of the reason that people on Capitol Hill know about this. We just saw a major step forward where the EPA for the first time has now created an entirely new funded, well-funded department focusing on environmental justice. So there's infrastructure to support having a voice and a seat at the table in a really meaningful way. So I think, I think we've got a lot of work to do, Stacey, but I still feel like we're not at square one, which gives me hope because I've been at square one before and it feels daunting. We're, we're a good like 15 years into this conversation and some of these bigger moves, especially by our current EPA administrator, who's amazing. I do think we've got some real champions and now would be the time to take action. It's interesting. You said earlier that we were like halfway there and I was like, that's very generous. Like even, (laughs) even if a lot of the laws that are pending get passed, like they don't cover what we really need to truly protect the health of our nation. And so it's, it's hard. And even at that, I, I would go even broader in that it's not even just within our nation. I don't know if you saw, there was like a thing that came out about like Sheen this week, because and I know you're into environmentally friendly and fair wage fashion as well. And so, you know, that's something that's passionate for me as well. And I've been long arguing our foster kiddo loved Sheen before they came because that's what was accessible to them, right? Like it, yep. it that's, that is what is affordably available to many people and they don't want to be supporting the exploitative nature of the workers and they don't want to be supporting the toxic manufacturing processes and the chemicals that are on the clothes when they buy them. However, like that is what they're limited by in terms of budget. And we've since learned to do a lot of thrifting <laughs> and a lot of like different kinds of activities where we can still expand our wardrobe on a budget you know, in a better way for the earth. The problem is just that it is, it is a worldwide problem, right? Like even if we solve everything that we need to solve in the United States, which we're not going to, the world is still affected because of the practices that are happening worldwide. And it just, it breaks my heart to like hear and see these things. And it's, it, it, I think honestly what happens is it feels so overwhelming as a consumer because of all the things that we talked about today and we only scratched the surface, right? Like you talked about toys. First of all, I had a two-year-old when the lead for Thomas the Tank Engine mm-hmm. came out. Like my son was the one obsessed with yeah. Thomas the Tank Engine when that came out. And so, you know, I, I think about all the different things that we talked about today and it's we're even if everything that we wanted to fix within the range of what we discussed was like magically we woke up and it was fixed like it it's still okay we're not at square one but there it's just it's so bad I wonder if consumers are like it's impossible I don't know where to start and therefore I give up I can't I can't do it I can't control it there's too much because I mean sometimes for me it feels that way yep 
That's why I say we're 50% of the way there. Cause if I really did the math, <laughs> about it, it's too depressing. And you like, you like apathy is a real thing and it's a very powerful political force. And I refuse to have it play a dominant role in this topic and it may, but it's like climate change where it's like eyes open. Like we've got to do something. We have to respond to the science, even if it's always, it's at a glacial pace compared to what we need to do the best way. Like, you know, fear is a powerful motivator, but so is hope, you know, and hope is something like you to show that we've made meaningful progress. And now two-year-olds don't have to worry about Thomas the train is great. But that was from when I first started my career, that was one of the first issues that hit. And yeah, I think it's, I, I struggle with it every day. And I think a lot of people that care about this do. How do you balance both the, the like fire in your belly with hope and using that to use your collective voice? And thank you, Stacey, for always using your voice and the platform that you have to mobilize people because that's what it takes. We have a lot of power when we work together. Agreed. And you as well. Thank you so much for everything you shared today and for all the work that you do. I'm so excited to see what you're able to accomplish in the future, taking on yet another component of woefully out of date things. So, and pod Patreon fam, gosh, my words are escaping me. Normally I record in the morning, but it's a hot minute here and my kids are home banging on things, dogs scratching at doors. I get a little distracted, but Patreon fam, we're obviously going to have all the information for you on where to find Lindsay and everything else. But if you have follow-up questions, please submit them and I will do the research and we'll make sure that you get taken care of. So thank you so much, Lindsay. Have a wonderful afternoon. You too. Thank you so much, Stacey. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.